Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is Friday, June the 21st. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Friday morning. We have wrapped up the group stages of the Women's World Cup. Some dramatic finishes yesterday. And everything is settled, and we are set up now for the knockout rounds with the U.S. taking on Spain on Monday. Last time those two teams faced, it was a 1-0 victory for the U.S. women's national team. But on that day, they struggled, struggled uh, to break down Spain. Spain were playing with with nice possession. The, The issue, as we were talking with Jack Gidney, the other day on the show is Spain struggles to score. They haven't really addressed some of their their movement in the final third yet, and they're a country that's still developing um, and building. And um, I, I look for that to change, you know, over the next five to ten years in terms of getting getting better at execution in the final third. I you know I, I would say that the that U.S. is is a, is a heavy favorite to win that match, um, but if if they struggle the way they did last time against Spain, um, I think you know it it would definitely could come down to one or two goals. I do think that the U.S. women's national team will uh, will come out uh, ahead in that matchup, but I don't think Spain's going to lie down and make it easy so uh we'll see how that goes uh you know there there was uh some some more drama yesterday as chile had an opportunity to advance uh didn't uh score that third goal and therefore are on the outside looking in and um you know i mean it's 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 celebration time for for nigeria going through um and you know argentina and chile both um not advancing into the knockout stages um you know it's going to uh be all all she wrote for them for this tournament but i i do think we will hear from uh argentina and chile going forward i I think their their programs if, if they get some more uh, support and resources and funding. I think they're going to 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 continue to build and uh, and get even better. Uh, the fact that the the Argentinian uh, women's national team was even in this position um, was a testament to those women and uh, and their commitment to the game and to their country. Uh, that in spite of the support, they had found themselves, um, you know, battling. In a, in a World Cup and, and you know, falling short. But, um, you know, kudos to them uh, for for their efforts. And, um, you know, going forward, this tournament's now going to start, you know, shaping up. And we'll see. It looks like U.S. and, and France are, are headed for a quarterfinal uh, matchup. And, um, you know, all eyes will be on that match. If indeed that does happen, the U.S., Winning their group yesterday in a 2-0 victory against Sweden. Um, didn't really feel like they were, you know, in full gear. Um, 
but uh, they did enough. Sweden, you know, had some chances themselves, but but didn't, um, you know, weren't able to to do anything with it. And um, and and the you know the one thing you know I I I read a bunch of comments after the match from people talking about you know this this U.S. Women's National Team they should just kind of have some patience and some composure and just kind of sit on the ball that you know they don't have to keep going forward they don't have to keep them. That's what they do. Um, that is that is who they are. That is their identity. It is always forward um, possession, so that we can attack. Um, not possession, so that we can keep um, you know the ball or settle the game down. It's we're, we're it's always constant probing. And there and there is a there is a good and a bad to that. the The good is is you know you've got this forward thinking mindset. The bad is it it causes you to be um, in, a little impatient at times, forcing passes that, that you don't need to force. You're okay if it's not there, if the safe pass isn't there and, and, and you don't need the goal. Um, you know, you're, you're two nil up and you're all, you were already ahead at nil nil because of, uh, of the goal difference tiebreaker, settle down, keep the ball cycle, cycle the ball throughout the team, you know, take a breather and, and find a way, um, you know, find a way forward, um, you know, to see, you know, what you can do in possession. And, um, and, and so, you know, that's just not their MO. That's not who this, this U S women's national team is. It's not how they are constructed. Um, and, um, you know, in, in that um, aspect, we got exactly what what I thought we would see yesterday, which was enough to to secure a victory. Uh, wasn't always it, it wasn't about being pretty or or calm and composed. It's going to it's going to be who they are. the The interesting piece going forward is is you know as we saw against Spain, is Spain able to. Uh, slow the tempo of the game down um, and and kind of sit on possession and and control the pace of the game and 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 does the U.S. women's national team on Monday and this is the one area where I think they could get themselves into trouble is does the U.S. women's national team get a little impatient and frustrated and and start trying to force things and in that forcing do they open themselves up to a, a, an opportunity to for either a counterattack or a mistake or Spain able to capitalize, you know, um, on a mistake kind of thing? That's kind of what, um, you know, the area where I think Spain would look to exploit. And, and, and really, I think it's their only chance to, to, to stay in the match is if they can control the tempo of the match, if they can keep possession and keep the U S women's national team chasing the ball. Um, and you know, with the talent, talented players we have, there's no reason why we should have to be chasing the ball. But when you don't play in a style that is built on, on calm, collected, um, patience in possession, possession with a purpose and not 
possession so that we can immediately attack, 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 attack. That's when you start trying to you start seeing passes out of the back and out of the midfield that are, you know, penetrating passes. Uh, but they're high-risk passes, and um, and so we'll see how they handle that. You know, I, like I said, I, I think the U.S. Women's National Team are are going to pull that that game out on Monday. Um, but uh, you know, if it's a repeat of what happened before a few months ago uh, against Spain, um, it, it could be you know a situation where the scoreline isn't isn't very one-sided, but. Um, the U.S. may be sitting on like a one or two gold lead, very similar to what they did against Sweden, and uh, still see the game out, but just not necessarily the prettiest um, soccer that we will we will see in this World Cup. Um, also in Copa America, uh, Uruguay, Japan, a two-two draw. Um, you know. I, I don't know why people are surprised Japan's competitive. Um, you know, the this this Japanese uh, men's national team and the women's national team programs have have been steadily growing um, over the last uh, ten to fifteen years, and and uh, for them to be competitive in Copa America um, is no surprise. Um, you know, I would say that that. Japan playing Uruguay 2-2 is no surprise. If the U.S. played Uruguay and it was 2-2, that would be a major surprise because the U.S. men's national team right now is a dumpster fire. And uh, speaking of U.S. soccer, um, you know, we talked about some of the glass door reviews on the show of U.S. soccer by current and former employees. And um, we have some journalists who have finally started reaching out and doing some research um, on on this issue and have been able to confirm that the sentiment, uh, the general feeling that is captured in those Glassdoor reviews that are not, uh, they're, they're not positive, they're not glowing reviews of Jay Berhalter, um, of Dan Flynn, of the culture, of the leadership within U.S. soccer, um, it's a, it's basically an outright revolt of, um, an outright revolt of the, the Federation leadership, um, and, and, and basically stating, we do not want Jay Burhalter as the next CEO, whatever you do, please don't do that. It will be terrible. That is basically the sentiment that's been summarized in these um, Glassdoor reviews. People have started looking into that, and they are uh, they are they are being verified the, that these accounts and this feeling, this sentiment is uh, is indeed the sentiment of the Federation uh, staff, and uh, you know. If, if we look at that compared to the way U.S. soccer um, makes decisions, that, that likely means that Jay Burhalter's number one on the list, and it's just a matter of time before they announce him because that's just what they do. They don't really care. They don't care about anybody except what they want to do, and they have an agenda, and it's obvious. You, you keep turning money and investments away uh, from people that, that want to invest in the game. They don't care. Um, they have an agenda and, and if Jay Barhalter is on that agenda, then they're, they're, they're going to 
go through with that agenda. And, you know, um, it, w- it would be, a from, from all accounts, looking at those reviews, talking to, to uh, other sources, um, and, and reading even some of the verifications from some of these um, uh, reporters and media members who, who have actually checked in to verify this, it would be a bad hire. Uh, he does not seem to be the, the type of hire that is going to get us going in the right direction, that is going to inspire uh, um, our staffers to, uh, to, to rise and grow, to, to build for the future. And um, so it, it will be interesting to follow. And, and just on a, on a personal note, I was, I was at the U.S. Soccer AGM in Phoenix this year, 2019 AGM. And um, just a personal story, I, I was in a meeting um, with Jay Burhalter. Uh, Chris Kessel wa- was in this meeting. There were uh, other members from other state associations in this meeting. And it was basically a Q&A with Jay Burhalter. And there was a lot of questions about, you know, why certain fees uh, for, for coaching courses and licensing and et cetera were, were being charged and what are we getting for this? And there was a lot of back and forth. And um, I asked the question um, to, to Jay Burhalter, and I said, if, um, you know, you have these unsanctioned leagues and you have, um, you know, minorities and you know geographic areas that are are you know on the outside looking in um and and they're not a part of the system um what what is u.s soccer what is the plan from u.s soccer what is your idea in order to be able to to get those leagues and those players in the, the, the U.S. Soccer Federation family? How do you get them to sanction as U.S. soccer members and as players, as leagues, as teams, etc.? And his response was, well, the badge. And I, I said, what do you mean the badge? He said, well, there's a lot of value in the U.S. soccer crest. So, you know, being able... To, to sanction under the federation means that you now have the ability to to market with the badge to say that you are official and my comeback to him was if if that's what you think is going to get them to sanction why isn't it working now and there was no answer um you know, other than we, we just got to do a better job of communicating that. Um, look, if, if we all know the definition of insanity. If you keep doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results, that's the definition of insanity. And, and to think that the badge is not attracting them now, um, it's not going to attract them in the future. The U.S. soccer badge is not anything that these unsanctioned leagues care about they don't they don't need that now they don't need that to do what they do now 
And that is the person that many are speculating is is at or near the top of the list to be this the the next CEO of US soccer. And his idea to solve a problem is to just keep flashing the badge. Folks, we could do better. We should do better, just like the Federation could do better and should do better. Um, if these glass door reviews are in, indeed true, and they seem to be, they keep getting verified that this is the sentiment within the staff of U.S. soccer. We've got to go somewhere else and, um, and, and find someone that is, is not just qualified on paper, but has the temperament and the leadership ability to inspire and lead us um, forward into this next chapter of U.S. soccer because we all know we got a lot of issues that need to get fixed. 2026 is around the corner, and we need someone that can get us there and build this thing and not uh, tear it all down or cause even more issues than we already have. And we've got plenty. We've got more than enough issues to fix right now. The sponsor for this half hour of the show is Dut Kick Brand. You can learn more about Dut Kick Brand at dutkigbrand.com. When you place an order, use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off your next order. Again, that is DWSHOW, and you will get 10% off your next order. We will be right back after this with Anthony DeChico. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Friday morning, June the 21st. Uh, coming up here in just a few minutes, we will have Anthony DeChico uh, stopping by to talk about the Women's World Cup. This U.S. Women's National Team, what he, see, what he has seen so far. And I uh, look forward to, uh, to chatting with him here in just a few minutes. Uh, you know, as we were talking before the break, the... 
the the issue that uh, that we're seeing with these glass door reviews is the fact that um, you know there are a lot of staff members who who basically are because Glassdoor just for the for those of you who may not know what it is glassdoor.com is basically the ability for current or former employees to provide anonymous reviews and in those anonymous reviews you can actually see that there are current and former staffers that are that are within US soccer um that are, are commenting about the the toxic culture and they are specifically naming Jay Burhalter and to some extent also Dan Flynn. Uh, these are the two top day-to-day operations executives of U.S. soccer. And, um, you know, as much as the board of directors gets up at an AGM and talks about, you know, the great jobs that, that these guys are doing and this, that, and the other. And they, they, they offer all these plaudits and a praise and whatever the, the people that work with you every day, um, they're the ones who really know what's going on. And, and I, I've been hearing this for, for quite some time. And, um, and in, in hearing that, uh, you know, in seeing that, um, it is it has been um uh, you know a situation where uh it is it is no uh surprise that that these same sentiments of the culture and the feelings that are going on have reached um you know a level where people feel like they they need to speak up and glassdoor has offered them uh the opportunity to to do that um and so uh, you know, we will, uh, we will see how, how things go, um, and, and see how, how things arise. Uh, let's see if we have, uh, Anthony on the line. Uh, Anthony, are you, are you, are you here with us this morning? I am. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning. Uh, thanks, uh, for coming on the show. Um, I want to I want to get right into the the World Cup. What we've seen, we just finished the group stages yesterday. Overall, um, just at a kind of a fifty thousand foot view, before we kind of jump into some specific storylines, what have you seen so far uh, of this World Cup, and, and what has your impression been? I think it's been fantastic. Um, you know, it, the the. The World Cup offers, uh, you know, so many different storylines and so many different opportunities to pay attention to things that, for most of the four-year cycle, get get missed. And uh, this particular World Cup is kind of the culmination of uh, a number of different nations' storylines around women's football, uh, all kind of being aligned to bring us uh, what so far has been. Uh, an excellent, ter- excuse me, an excellent tournament, and, uh, and I think it's been, I think it's been a lot of fun to watch. I think the goalkeeping has been great. I think the the uh, some of the goals we've seen have been great. There's there have been things that I that, that have been less fun. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about VAR, um, and uh, the implementation of some of the rules. But I think we're off to a uh, to a great start in this World Cup. I I agree. Um... You know, as with every kind of new change, a rule change or technology, there's often times um, 
a little bit of a either a learning curve or transition period, etc. VAR has definitely um, been a, a break in in the rhythm of the games, and some of it has even been controversial. I, for for me, I, I think uh, clear and obvious um, should be a standard we need to use uh, more with VAR. If you can't see it right away, then you know let it go. <laughs> keep playing we're you know it's it's taking too long on some of these as in in addition to what we're reviewing in the first place so um when when we when we look at um you know some of the specific teams uh what teams have stood out to you in terms of you know playing beautiful soccer what teams have have impressed you uh, in terms of the quality of their play the United States women's national team. I mean, you know, we can talk about the strength of groups, but every group has, has stronger and weaker teams. And uh, even with Sweden uh, making some changes in their lineup, they were obviously very content to be in that second place uh, slot in Group F and, and uh, you know, playing Canada in their round of 16 match and then taking on what most people presume will be the easier side of the bracket. Uh, so they, they made a lot of changes, but the, the U.S. Uh, in all three games has shown that they, they've they shown up to play to their standard, not to, uh, you know, allow anybody else to dictate the level of the game or even the tempo or style of the, style of the game. Um, you know, in terms of an aesthetic, I think that, uh, you know, we we all know that France is a good team that plays a pretty good brand. I think uh, Spain plays a pretty good brand, but it has been a little bit disappointing. And people got a little bit too excited about uh, Spain's evolution in the women's game, both because of the, the hype around some large crowds uh, in, in Spain, uh, also the success of the youth teams. But, it, you know, Todd Bean and I were uh, sending messages. Uh, Todd Bean runs Tovo Academy out of uh, just south of Barcelona. And, uh, you know, and he was, he was saying that it's happening for Spain. It's coming. They're committed to implementing uh, a style that reflects what we expect of, of Spanish soccer. Uh, they're just not there yet. You know, they're just a, a cycle away uh, from here. But what I do think that makes for is this U.S.-Spain matchup on Monday, uh, you know, could be an eye-pleaser. could be a very aesthetically... Uh, fun game to watch and I thought yesterday's was too against Sweden to be honest so yeah I agree I, I've been saying um through that throughout this World Cup that I you know if you're not watching the Spanish national team and you don't see the future you're either not looking or you are blind uh they're not there yet but over the next five to ten years I think they are going to become a a force to to be reckoned with in terms of that program um Another team to me that uh, I think has surprised people in in their quality of play and in their program has been Italy. What have you seen from them uh, so far this World Cup? Yeah, I think uh, Italy. You know, Italy's uh, history over this this past decade has been a little bit of what we, we might see from Spain, which is uh, Italy building into the uh, into the 2011 World Cup had put together a pretty strong team. And uh, I don't know how many of your listeners will, will remember, uh, but Alice Morgan scores a crucial goal in the playoff that we had to go through 
by losing in the semifinal to actually even qualify for that 2011 World Cup. And, uh, and that really set the Italian program back, right? Because they're on the, they're on the cusp of this. They've had this great run going into, into through that qualifying. I think they beat France and, and some other teams. And then they don't get the, the prize of getting to appear at the World Cup. And the net result is it takes them a few years to, you know, kind of get their energy back into, into the game. One of the things, you know, we haven't talked about Germany. We haven't talked about Japan, who I think are young but play a, a good brand. We haven't talked about uh, one of my favorites to make a run deep into this tournament, which is Holland. Uh, I think the, the, the Dutch, and in particular, I'm an Arsenal supporter, so uh, the, the Arsenal players they have, led by uh, Medima, you know, she is a joy to watch and, and uh you know, having the opportunity to see some FAWSL games this year, uh, you really get a chance to to learn these players. And this is this is one of the ways that this World Cup is different than any World Cup we've we've had in a while. Is more of these players are on a stage where you get to see their tendencies. And just because we've seen Messi, you know, ten thousand times, doesn't mean we're not tuning in for ten thousand one because it becomes this this opportunity to catch a master at work. And, uh, and it, it's the same thing with, uh, with Medima. She's 22. She's just taken over the Dutch record with her 60th uh, goal for, for the Netherlands. She won the golden boot in England this year and led Arsenal to their first uh, title since 2012. And I think she's just getting started. Um, and she's just one of a number of pieces that they've got, uh, that they've got in place. Yeah, I mean, I think the Dutch are a team this World Cup that uh, could easily win the whole thing uh, if they if things go their way in terms of uh, results. Uh, obviously, everybody's got to have the results, but they've been playing really, really well, um, and in Germany, have been you know finding ways to win. I haven't necessarily been completely impressed with the way they're playing, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's that 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 famous quote i think from uh gary lineker that said you know two teams play and after 90 minutes the germans win um and and so i think that you know we've seen a little bit of that but at each game the Ger the, the german national team is performing better and better um and i think it, it, if they are able to continue to grow into this tournament uh they're going to be a tough out uh whoever they they end up getting matched up against uh, as they go further and further into this tournament one of the things um Two teams play for 120 minutes. The game goes to penalties, and ultimately the Germans always win. The uh, you know, exactly the, the Germans. What what I see from the Germans um, is a lot of what I saw from the U.S. in 2015. The the Germans have tremendous ingredients. They've got they've got heaps of talent. Aside from the U.S., they they're probably the most talented team, and smart money probably has them. Uh, at least in the semifinal, but probably in the final coming out of that side. I, I, the, the, it doesn't always, you know, it's tournaments. It's why we watch. It's why we love it. The Dutch uh, did have that, that luck, that fortune in the Euros a couple of years ago. Uh, and then they had a, a pretty big drop-off in 2017 um, and, and struggled through qualifying. And here they are kind of coming together. And, uh, you know, I think a run from, uh, you know, Holland or 
you know, somebody who's uh, maybe a little bit less known outside of, of uh, their confederation uh, would be great for the, the tournament. I think Jan, uh, Japan's ascendancy in 2011-2015 uh, in uh, was fantastic for, for uh, Asian football and for soccer in general. So, uh, you know, again, being, being a little bit biased, I, I'd like to see the Dutch make a, a good run. Um, but, you know, we're, we're at one of the best points in the entire tournament here because we've played 36 games. We have a pretty good sense of, of these players, of what they're about, of what these teams' identities are. Um, but only eight teams have been eliminated, and most of this was essentially just seeding to kind of put us, you know, put this bracket in front of us. And, uh, and it, it, the matchups are great, and we're going to have a really, uh, really fascinating couple weeks here to determine a world champion. Completely agree. It, on a macro level, uh, there, you know, the Matildas uh, and, and others have been talking about the, the, the purse for this World Cup and, and, you know, trying to get FIFA to up the prize money to, um, to treat the Women's World Cup in the same way or at least in a, in a better way than they've been treating it in comparison to the, the, the Men's World Cup that took place uh, last year in Russia. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? And, and where, where do you see that going? It may, you know, may, may not necessarily be something dramatic, this world cup cycle, but, uh, how do you see that playing forward say going into 2023? Uh, I, I spend more of my energy uh, at this point on U S soccer than I, than I do on FIFA. The, the, you know, there's there's a whole number of, of variables that are that are feeding into this. The first thing we have to talk about is not just that the players uh, are calling for and deserve, quite frankly, uh, equal prize money, um, but the fact that the gap and I don't have the percentages in front of me, but the gap between the men and women has actually increased. So what they'll do is they'll say, look, we're going to double the, the women's prize money. And then they'll add uh, a significant chunk to the men's, but the percentage disparity actually grows in that process. So it becomes this whole game of, of spin. Most of, of this comes back to leadership. And I'm a big believer, and we'll, you know, as we talk about our federation, you know, I'll say the same thing. Uh, you know, we have, to, we have to look at things not as black and white, but in the context of what's a very complicated, uh, you know, landscape. And so let's also praise FIFA because today Gianni Infantino uh, sent a, a letter to the Iranian Federation calling for women to be allowed into the stadiums in Iran uh, for the World Cup qualifiers going into to 2022. This is a this is a major step and something that a whole lot of people all over the world have been fighting for for a very long time. Uh, if you're on Twitter and you want to learn more about it, uh, at Open Stadiums is the, is the uh, primary handle for that movement. Um, but but it, there's, there's equality of respect, and then there's the equality of, uh, of the financial returns. You know, all of the players understand that it's going to take, you know, years, decades, for the women's game to 
get fully developed to the point where uh, financially it's in a in a comparable place to the men's game. What it's going what's going to get us there though is the leadership that we've seen from. We'll go back to the Dutch here. The Dutch have put in a, a plan to create uh, equitable pay for their women by 2023 that the women seem supportive and on board with. Um, but ultimately, what has to happen is, is leaders, the people who actually get to make these decisions, have to decide that there may be reasons not to, but those reasons are no longer valid or don't supersede the impetus to do what's right. And to do what's right is to is to stop uh, marginalizing the event. Uh, one of the things I've been trying to be deliberate about, unless I'm specifically referencing uh, events that are, or, or contexts where we're talking about the men's World Cup and the women's World Cup, I don't I don't refer to the World Cup as the women's World Cup this year. And I have for every event previous to that. But all we're doing is creating. Uh, a label to somehow make it okay to uh, to be less all in or to be less committed to this event than uh, than we were last year. Um, so if, if FIFA want to get to the point of of equality, it's going to come through all of these little things: labeling the men's World Cup the men's World Cup and the women's World Cup the women's World Cup, or just assuming that your audience is savvy enough to know that last year was a World Cup and this year is a World Cup. And I think that's the you know that's the uh, the way we're headed. Uh, unfortunately, uh, things tend to be pretty slow coming out of Zurich. So it's going to take some of the federations and confederations uh, demonstrating, modeling what it looks like, and being celebrated for it. Um, because you know we we don't have enough time. There's not enough hours in the day to talk about the uh, the areas of concern as it relates to uh, women's football with FIFA. Um, but the fact that just this, this month, we have uh, an FA president, the president of the Afghanistan Federation, uh, getting a lifetime ban for assaulting and kidnapping essentially uh, players from his national team program. Um, you know, th this is 2019. I mean, it, you know, we, we have to get ourselves to a point where our expectations and, and what we're willing to, uh, you know, acquiesce to is much, much higher than where we are today. I mean, I was just reading Twitter before I jumped on with you, and there, there's people standing in bus lines and taxi queues after the U.S.-Sweden game last night with no taxis coming. That's, that's on the local organizing committee. And, you know, I wasn't in Russia, but I was in Brazil. Uh, a couple years before that, and yeah, there's always logistical issues around a, a World Cup, but the the French have hosted European Championships and, and the World Cup in the past, and have not had those issues. So, so what is it? Are you not putting enough resources into the planning? Is there is there justifiable explanations for why things are at a lower standard? You know, uh, one of the stadiums sold out of food before the game kicked off. You know. Uh, FIFA's had major issues with uh, merchandising and, and long lines at, at merch tents. So we talk about equality, and you know, inevitably we get some guy who loves barstool sports to to tell us that well, they're not generating the same revenue. But if you're not as FIFA or U.S. Soccer or, or Concacaf or whoever, 
if you're not investing the same resources and creating the same level playing fields, then that immediately, uh, you know, marginalizes that argument. And uh, so what I'm constantly looking for is, is who are the leaders who's going to carry us into the future. Speaking of leaders and carrying us into the future, uh, let's uh, let's talk about U.S. soccer for a minute. And, um, you know, the I, I, I opened this show talking about, uh, you know, the glass door reviews and, and I've talked about this for a couple of days on the show in bits and pieces. And now there have been some media members who have actually gone and, and started, uh, you know, reaching out to sources to, to, to try to confirm or um you know prove wrong uh that these cla- glass door reviews you know are are either you know um you know the sentiment of a few or is it really a widespread toxic culture as described in some of these US soccer glass door reviews and and they have been able to confirm this toxicity uh in in the culture and uh and, and definitely is a sentiment uh, about uh, frustration with the executive levels of leadership within U.S. soccer. Um, in order for us to, to, to really kind of fix things here at home, uh, when you talk about setting an example for FIFA and other FIFA members and, uh, you know, in, in operating in a way that is excellent and, uh, and is propelling us towards greatness and excellence going forward, uh, what are your observations of U.S. soccer and in the culture and leadership uh, aspects uh, of this federation? Um, well, that's, so I, first of all, I want to say what I tweeted last night, which is that I, I'm ridiculously annoyed that this is what we have to talk about the day after the U.S. won their group and three days before they play the round of 16 match. The, the, you know, the pattern that has emerged from U.S. soccer over, over decades, this is not a new thing, but the pattern that has emerged has always been one that the ends justify the means. That if we get, if we get what we want, that it will, it will take us, you know, it, it will take us to, um, you know, where we need to go. So what that has done is created... Um, power dynamics, which not only uh, which not only hurt us because we have this aggregation of centralization of power in Chicago, um, but but also because it has created these these um, I was going to say fractures, but they're they're more like canyons within the landscape of our soccer community and the Fed is fighting wars on more fronts than it can possibly handle. And the, the problem is, the real problem is that they're fighting wars with the people, with their own constituents, with, with members, with supporters of U.S. soccer. You know, one of the, the caveats I'll throw in here for your listeners who don't, uh, who don't follow me or who haven't heard me before is that uh, I, I don't love the organization, but I love U.S. soccer. I love the women's national team program. I love the men's national team program. I love, you know, watching our youth national teams. Uh, and, and there's really, and I, and I love our, our Paralympic team, and I love our deaf women's national team, uh, you know, and the futsal team and the beach team and 
you know, Landon and Jermaine are taking, and uh, a good friend of mine, Craig Childs, are taking a U.S. Arena uh, soccer team to an event. I think it's just happened or is just happening. Um, but U.S. soccer, you know, American soccer in every form uh, should be celebrated, and that's not where we are. And the issue I have is not just with the Fed, it's with, with, with these, you know, the, the protest movement as well, the opposition movement as well, um, because I, I see a ton, a ton of cynicism. I see a ton of people who don't believe that because we're not where we want to be today, that we can't get there. And I immediately reject that notion because I look at exactly where we are. And, and women's soccer is the perfect example is, you know, going back 24 years, matches were on uh, an accessory channel. ESPN2 had just launched. It was an accessory channel. Games were, were taped delayed. They didn't show every game. Um, you know, and ESPN did a good job with the professionalism and the presentation. But here we are 20 years later, and there's no question that the Women's World Cup is a global event. And yeah, there's things that I, I want Fox to do better. And yeah, there's things that I want U.S. soccer to do better. Uh, but also, my belief has always been one that there is a manifest destiny to the growth of the game in this country. Um, you know, there is a generation of kids who grew up not only playing, because that's, that's been happening now for a few generations, but playing and growing up with FIFA, the video game, and with, uh, you know, the World Cup being broadcast, uh, you know, to the, their um, whatever device or, you know, TV or satellite dish or bar that you want. The, the access to the game, the growth of the game, the popularity of the game will only continue to increase. And as that happens, the amount of pressure that exists on the Federation will increase as well, and they will be able to get away with, with less. But also, uh, this, this current leadership crop will continue to try to get away with whatever they think they can uh, in the context of, of trying to achieve what they view as, you know, necessary objectives or, or ideal outcomes. Um, but, but already, I mean, in, in the couple of years since the U.S. failed to qualify for Trinidad, we're already seeing changes. And, and where we are today was a necessary condition of a reform process that I, I don't think enough reformers have trained for enough patience for what we're actually talking about. You know, going back prior to the presidential election, I said that this reform process is an eight to 12 year process. The Japanese, by the way, when they did their most recent strategic plan, put out a hundred year plan. And I thought that was brilliant not because their plan right now is going to reflect anything what it looks like 100 years from now, but what it's demonstrating is that the people who wrote that plan know that it's not about them, that it's not about their ego or their fulfillment or what they want or even getting to see the project uh, come to fruition. And, and I know what that, that looks like um, because I feel very fortunate that uh, prior to his death, my, my father was able to see uh, the U.S. celebrate winning the World Cup again, which after 16 years and 
the near misses and everything, uh, you know, wasn't a guarantee. And certainly the way we played in, in 2015 in the group stage in the round of 16 uh, was nowhere near at the standard or as good as the, the team has been this year. Um, but that, that's what all this comes down to. And, you know, I, I think you know that because I, I know how much of yourself you put into the, into the movement, into the evolution, but, um, but people have to, you know, people have to gear up for a much longer haul than I think uh, they would want or they were hoping for, but it's going to take that, that time um, for us to create the conditions for the, not only the organization in Chicago to represent what we want to, but also for, for soccer in America uh, to evolve and for more Chris Kessels to emerge and, uh, you know, more Skyety Bruce's to come out of the woodwork and, and, uh, and help us to see the places where we're, where we're missing things. Completely. Uh, two, two, two thoughts came to mind as you were talking. The first, the first is, um, when, when, when I look at where we are and where we could be, um, and I, I, I think back to the famous speech of JFK when, when he was speaking in front of the country, but, but also in front of the world, when he said, we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of this decade. And, uh, that, that kind of vision and leadership, um, you know, Germany had that moment, uh, you know, uh, Ralph Honigstein in his book, Das Reboot detailed the, that, those, those conversations and that process after, um, having a miserable time in, in the Euros in 2000 and in, in, in the early 2000s, late nineties, re- realizing that they had to, to, to rethink, uh, how they did German soccer and then, you know, 10 years later, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, I mean, uh, yeah, 10 years later, they're winning the World Cup in, uh, in Brazil uh, a- after the implementation of that, that whole process. Um, that, that's one thing about visionary leadership, bold leadership. Obviously, uh, you're not where you want to be, but this is where we're going. Kind of in line with what you're talking about, about the 100-year plan of Japan and and you see, you know, Germany, uh, again, looking at some some shortcomings in the fact that their current system hasn't been producing, you know, 1v1 specialists. And so they're kind of going, OK, what can we do at a youth level to produce players who can can do that and not always look to have to import those players from outside of Germany? The second thought that I had uh, while you were going through that is um Something that Gary Vaynerchuk and I don't know how familiar you are with Gary Vaynerchuk. He's a, he's a business guy and 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 has a daily podcast and written a bunch of books. And uh, one of the things he he says a lot that I that I really like is um, micro hustle, macro patience, and meaning every day you you you're putting in your work and you are grinding and you know doing the the the, the unglamorous part of uh, whatever it is you're doing to build your dreams and then having on a macro level the patience uh, to, you know, to go, we're going to get this right, we're going to keep building, and eventually we'll get there, but but we, we have to work uh, today, otherwise tomorrow never happens. Um, and, and that's really my view on this, is that we didn't get here overnight and, and we didn't get to a place uh, where we are uh, from a federation level uh, in terms of, uh, you know, specific organization 
or as a, as a culture in, a, in, a, in the country at large. And we're not going to get out of this overnight, but we do need vision and we do need a commitment to that vision. But we also have to have a commitment to that vision. That means that every day, each of us are working wherever we are, whatever level we're at, to do our part as individuals to help build us and get us to that that future. Um, and, you know, I think that that is a, an element to this where, you know, as frustrating as it is at times to see some of the decisions and the choices that this federation has been making, um, you know, I feel like if if more of us would would take that viewpoint of, of micro hustle, macro patience and and do things like what 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 Chris has done, what Sky Eddie Bruce has done, what others have done. And and and, and the thing I've Anthony have been really encouraged about over the last uh, 18 months since the election is that more and more people that you would classify as quote unquote insiders um you know people that are working at a state state association level or within you know u.s soccer member association levels are are starting to to get vocal about their displeasure in certain things where in the past um they were they wouldn't even speak up not maybe not because they disagree but maybe fear of retribution or whatever but more people are now actually saying hey this this specific thing isn't isn't right or this isn't good we need to do better at this or whatever and and ultimately that's how we get to change is that more and more of those people say enough is enough Let, let's do something better let's put a man on the moon or in the case uh, of the way i view it instead of saying let's make soccer the preeminent sport in america i i would rather say we want to be the greatest soccer country on earth how do we get there what do we have to do and that means for everybody that that's the men's, that's the women's, that's our youth, that's our death. That's our like, let's be the best at everything. The same view that we have when we go to the Olympics is the same view that we should have about our soccer in this country uh, in terms of where it stands up in the global picture. And I don't care about, um, you know, the, the culture of the past and the history and the tradition in Brazil and Spain or whatever. We have enough resources. We are the greatest sports economy on earth. We have, uh, we have everything at our fingertips. Um, and we, instead of uh, using excuses, I would rather us get bold and dream, put a hundred year plan out there and start building that thing and, and going there. Um, and, and I think if we'll, if we'll take that viewpoint of, of micro hustle, macro patience, I think we can, we can start to take even more steps to lead us in that direction. Um, when, when, so, so let's, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Because, because it really comes back to, uh, you know, what you were talking about with putting a man on the moon, that is a, a tangible objective, Right. Winning the World Cup is a tangible objective. Now, there's a million variables. You can try and control as many of them as you possibly can. But at the end of the day, people are going to have to execute and things are going to happen in order for that objective to be accomplished, right, for that box to be checked. So I can only control a very, 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 very tiny portion of that puzzle, right? I'm one piece of that puzzle. But – what I think that there is a, a growing understanding of, and you see it in the work of Tom Beyer with Soccer Starts at Home, and, and I, see it, I, I see it when I, uh, I was um, 
just reading a Mia quote yesterday about uh, about youth development, and I see it when I, you know, when I, uh, you know, travel around the country and and talk to parents and players. The 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 unifying theme that we have not latched onto is is joy, is fun, right? It, the idea that um, whoever the leader is, is going to come into to U.S. soccer and snap their fingers and, and you know, everything is, is going to be righted uh, is, is not how, how this proceeds. How it does proceed is we help everybody, all of your listeners, right? It, today is our first rest day in the last two, two weeks of the, of the World Cup. And so what is your soccer mindset today? And mine is just tremendous gratitude, tremendous gratitude that we're in the middle of, of this awesome sporting event, that we've got some fantastic players uh, that we've just seen play, and that we get to look forward to seeing play over the next couple of weeks. We've got some incredible storylines, even for teams that didn't advance, Jamaica, the first Caribbean team ever to, to go to the World Cup. We've got Argentina, who... Uh, I, I think uh, was it last week that you had Nicole Rodriguez on? Or two yeah, weeks ago. Absolutely, last Friday. Uh, you know, this, this Arge, right? So last Friday. So this Argentinian team was instrumental in in supporting the Puerto Rican team, who Puerto Rico are right now light years away from the World Cup. But but the Argentinians and the Puerto Ricans were able to create this shared uh, empathy and understanding of of what the situation that these programs face around the world. And we've seen this too uh, with the international movement around the Afghanistan team. Um, and, and you, at some point when you're, when you're talking to these players and you're finding out everything that they've been through and uh, one book, uh, a lot of good books about women's soccer right now, one that's a little bit older um, but is a great book on this topic. Uh, Gwen Oxum, uh, into uh, out of the darkness and into the light, I think it's called. Some you can Google it, um, but it's it's one of the first really good books. And you were talking about this with people in state associations and elsewhere. One of the first really good books of pulling the curtain back on the issues that face women's soccer. Um, and you know, you and I could could create a, a huge laundry list. But in spite of all that, in spite of the fact that I engage in the space too, the prevailing thing that I feel around the game right now is, is joy. And it's even joy in, in players uh, discovering failure because Kristen Press mm -hmm. was talking about it in her press conference uh, uh, two days ago before the Sweden game. And you'll hear every elite athlete you ever hear talk about their journey will talk about it is the failure is the fertilizer. Failure creates the conditions for the the um, for the soil to yield what it potentially can yield. And in 2018, watching our uh, watching a World Cup, the first that I can remember, because the '90 World Cup was really my my first World Cup. So the first that I can remember in my life where the U.S. isn't there and Still finding joy in that event, in that game, uh, in those games. Uh, that's something that we can do on a daily basis as coaches, as administrators, as business people, as all of it. And uh, and I, 
more than anything else right now, Chicago is not a fun place. Soccer house is not a fun place to be. U.S. soccer is not in a in a fun place. They have they have moved themselves so far away from the the authentic spirit of the game, the true joy of the game, that it it, it will. That's why our next CEO has to come from outside of U.S. soccer, because there is no potential scenario. I may I, I shouldn't be that definitive. There might be a few you know threads that can be that can be weaved, but the idea of being able to create uh, the distance from what has just transpired over the Dan Flynn era for the last 19 years, and then immediately uh, reinvent the the Fed, having come from that era, there's 0.1% chance that Jay Berhalter can thread that needle. He just doesn't have the capacity because he is part of that regime, right? It'd be as if uh, Dick Cheney became president after after George W. Bush. The country had no appetite for that. There was no scenario in which that would have been the best thing for the country. Not after two wars and and all of the other all of the other things. Well, it's a, it's the same scenario here. You know, Jay has been referred to as as Dan's right hand and the de facto CEO and all these things and other things that you read in the the Glassdoor review. What what it is 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 his fingerprints are all over this. And it's time for us to find a leader who doesn't feel the need to aggregate power, but who is empowered by, uh, by people all over the country engaging the game at that base level where they love it, they have fun doing it, they enjoy it, and that passion and that joy becomes infectious. And for me this spring – it was uh, going back to coach. Uh, I, I coached a freshman boys high school team, right? Results couldn't matter less. You know, the opportunity to work with them every day and that consistency was fantastic. But at the end of the day, we had fun. We, you know, we didn't, there was no championships to win. The boys got better developmentally, and we came out out every day. And I had fun, and they had fun, and uh, it was a positive experience. So if we can do more of that, if we can spread that gospel, then uh, I think the real path forward is, in essence, marginalizing the impact of, of U.S. soccer. There's things that they're always going to have influence and control over, um, but they don't control the game. They, they don't control the game. We control the game. And, and I, I think too many people, you know, Gary Vee is big on not – being a victim of your circumstances, right? Dictating your circumstances. And I think uh, too many of us have gotten caught up in that cynical vortex where we feel, and I've been here too. I'm not here now, but I've been here, where we feel helpless uh, based on decisions that are coming out of Chicago. And that's not a, that's not a fun place to be. I agree. Um, and, you know, like a, like I said before, I mean, to, for me, the, this whole thing is uh, when and when I'm referring to this whole thing and speaking of, you know, positive change, building for the future, visionary leadership, positive steps, et cetera, um, you know, it is is about all of us. It's it's not, you know, one thing or one person. Um, you know, you could you could bring in a, a new uh, president of U.S. Soccer in 2018, and they weren't going to be able to wave a magic wand and change everything overnight. Right. Um, right. You know, there's still going to be a lot of work, and 
you know, working with Eric uh, Winalda during that campaign, that was a, that was a private conversation that we were having constantly. Is you know, if if you were able to win, do you do you understand what what comes next? <laughs> if you think the election's hard, I mean, there there's a lot that's going to come after that. So uh, for sure, hey, look, I, before we before we run, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I want you to. I'm going to I'm going to get you to pick who you think is going to win these uh, eight knockout round games that start tomorrow. Um, And, uh, you know, we don't have to go beyond these eight matchups, but I thought it'd be fun before you you, you headed off. We can leave with a little bit of joy uh, with with this conversation for the weekend. We'll leave with we'll leave this before the, the uh, we can talk about those individual games before the tournament. I thought the U.S. was the best team in the world. And, you know, I didn't see any reason why it's not, uh, you know, believable, conceivable, and a great opportunity for them to, to win this tournament. There's nothing I saw on the group stage that changes my mind. And I'm not afraid to say that the U.S. is the best team in the world and that it's the U.S.'s tournament to lose. And the reason I, I say that is because that is, that is the energy that they have demonstrated from the outset of this tournament. So we can work backwards from there, but, but I expect that at the end of this tournament, uh, you know, odds are that, uh, that we will be putting a, a fourth star on the crest. That's what I believe. So having said that, we already know that the U.S.-Spanish match, you're picking the U.S. to win. Uh, on the other side of that quarterfinal bracket, you have France and Brazil. Who do you think comes out of that match? I think France comes out of that one. Uh, I think that Brazil, uh, you know, both those matchups with the U.S. I, I find compelling. It becomes kind of the the uh, you know the bookend uh, of the Marta era, with uh, the U.S. going to face Brazil in the final in 2004, which was you know Mia and Julie and Joy Fawcett send off. So to to get one more shot at uh, the, this epic uh, you know U.S. Brazil. Uh, era with with marta leading brazil would be fun uh but i don't think brazil is is all the way there i think the french are are more complete having said that the uh you know that one brazil is cultured and and has has won enough of these games at this point to know how to do it and they have players who are capable of moments of brilliance but when you're having trouble because your 41-year-old central midfielder is on yellow card suspension, that tells me that there's major issues with your depth. So uh, what I said yesterday is even if, I, even if Brazil finds a way past France, I think they come out uh, a wounded animal and the U.S. just runs riot over them. But I do think France wins that game. And then I think France follows a pattern that every country, with the exception of the United States in 1999, and 2003 has fallen victim to, which is they every every other host of the Women's World Cup has been outed at the quarterfinal stage. So that's Germany, uh, Sweden, China has had that happen twice to them. Canada did it in 2015, and and the reason and and to be perfectly candid with you here, take it back to, to my father's team. It almost happened to us too in 1999. That was the game that was the hardest game in the entire tournament. And still one of the greatest women's soccer games ever to be played was the USA-Germany in, uh, at Jack Kent Cook Stadium in 1999. The U.S. went down 1-0 on the Brandy on goal. They uh, come back 1-1. Uh, 
Then they go down 2-1 just before half, and then Brandy scores the equalizer, and Joy Fawcett scores the, the winner, and it's 3-2 to the U.S. But that moment, uh, you know, in the locker room, Dad's, Dad's halftime talk to the team was, do you want your dream to die now? And obviously, you know, that U.S. team had the culture and the leadership uh, behind Carl Overbeck and, and Julie Foudy and the layers of leadership to deal with it. But people don't understand how much pressure is on the host. You're the engine of the tournament. And by the way, you're also trying to, to do this other thing where you win the tournament. And in France's case, having not taken the other steps yet where they get to a major final, uh, let alone win one, I think it's, it's probably a, a bridge too far. And I think they're very unfortunate in their draw to, to end up facing the U.S. in the quarterfinals. But I, I think the, uh, the U.S. wins that probably 2-1 to one or 3-2, something like that. So uh, picking up with another quarterfinal bracket, you have Norway and Australia. Who do you see coming out of that matchup? Uh, toughest one, I, I think that and the Sweden Canada game are probably the two toughest of these round of 16 uh, games. The uh, you know my gut tells me Norway, um, because I think that they've been playing some some uh, decent soccer, and uh, and also because you know when in doubt I tend to lean more towards the the program that has demonstrated that they they know how to even if they haven't done it most recently. Uh, having said that, uh, Sam Kerr is, if not the best striker in the world, one of the top three strikers in the world, and uh, and Australia have a good team spirit about them. There was a lot of issues around the removal of their coach earlier in the year, um, but they built into the tournament. And even after that first loss that they took, uh, you know, they continued to 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 improve, and uh, and I think that that one could go either way but I probably lean a little bit towards Norway. England, Cameroon. England. Uh, you know, it's great that Cameroon has now advanced to their second uh, straight knockout round, uh, but I think this England team is, is there late into the tournament. Um, you know, they showed, they showed me something in, this, uh, in their last group game, and uh, I, if Phil's smart, he's going to tap back into that, which was – he gives Rachel Daly her first World Cup start. Uh, he, he pushes the restraining line a little bit. They, they apply a little bit more pressure, and then they, they found their killer instinct some. And they didn't score every opportunity that they had against uh, Japan, but, um, but I thought they ran that game, and I was, uh, I was really impressed by them. Italy and China. Uh, you know, so I'm going to go against what I just said here and say Italy because I think – the, their form is better, um, but that's that's an interesting it's an interesting matchup. Interestingly, if those two games go the other way, we get a, a Japan China quarterfinal, which from a tournament perspective would have massive global implications uh, because of the the uh, huge populations in, in that portion of the world, um, and you know two teams that have both been to finals, been at that, at that caliber. Uh, but I, I, uh, I, I'm going to lean, um, my last name's the cheek. I'm going to lean towards Italy on that one. <laughs> I like it. Netherlands, Japan. Uh, I've taken the Dutch. Uh, I, I believe in the Dutch, the, the Japanese, you know, we look at these teams and everybody has a different agenda. I think that this Japanese team 
is being set up uh, to compete for a gold medal in Tokyo next year. That's what I think that they want. Because I don't, I don't see any other reason why you don't bring Yuki and, and you make some of the decisions that they've made. They're a very young team. The Japanese have a, a style and have a system that works, that's, that's won them a World Cup in the past, but this isn't that team. It's not even the team that we saw in, uh, in, in the final in 2015. I think, you know, the U.S. had a little bit of turnover, but the Japanese basically have an entire new, uh, new team with us at this point. Uh, I shouldn't say that. There's a couple players who were in their second and third World Cups, but, uh, but definitely a side that skews younger. Um, so I'm going with the Dutch on that one. Germany and Nigeria. Germany, Germany. Uh, Nigeria, you know, squeaks into the knockout stage. Uh, the Germans, in- interestingly, because of what you brought up earlier, they they haven't been world beaters at this point, right? So they've become a little bit of the new dark horse. And if I was a betting man, I you know, you learn not to bet against the Germans. I mean, I remember the the 3 final back when uh, – the uh, the stadium in Carson was called the uh, the Home Depot Center, and uh, and the Germans were uh, were in a a ridiculous battle with uh, with Sweden, but like you were saying, the Gary Lineker, you know, the Germans find a way to win. That's part of their DNA, and uh, so I think Germany makes a deep run. And the the final knockout uh, stage match that uh, is. On the schedule coming up now is Sweden and Canada. How do you see that one shaping up? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll back CONCACAF. I hope Canada wins it. I want Canada to win it. I, I think that Sweden, because they knew that they were getting the matchup they wanted, they were able to rest their players in that third group game. They basically got to treat the third group game, and the U.S. did too, like they had already won the group. Um, so I think that... Uh, after coming off of Canada's loss and with uh, with Sweden coming off of the rest that they have, it's probably a little bit of an edge to Sweden. Um, but Jesse Fleming is one of my favorite players to watch in this entire tournament for Canada. Uh, Jadine Becky is a hell of a player. Sink is an X factor that you can you can never deny. Um, you know she's just she's that lethal and that potent and to be doing it. Uh, at the level that she is right now after after so many years, um, you know, we'll see. But I, I hope our, you know, I want the CONCACAF teams to do well. I, I, I think this tournament will be better if in 2023 they go to 32 teams simply because the stakes in the group stage go, go up that much higher, right? Instead of eliminating eight teams, you eliminate 16 teams. And I want to see Mexico at the World Cup. And I want to see Mexico doing well. And I want to see Jamaica come back. And I want to see Trinidad Tobago find the form that they had under Randy Waldrum and, uh, and compete with, with the top teams in our region. So, you know, uh, I'll back Canada on that one. But like, like, uh, like the other one we talked about, that one, a bit more of a coin flip. So we'll see. Well, Anthony, thanks for spending some time with us today talking uh, women's soccer, U.S. Soccer Federation, uh, the, the way forward, the way towards reform, leadership. We, we've covered a whole host of topics and uh, gone in, in depth and in and around uh, this World Cup. Uh, think, thanks for spending some time with us uh, this Friday uh, on your, your one uh, World Cup off day so far since this tournament kicked off. And, uh, and don't, think, uh, don't think we didn't schedule that deliberately. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you having me, and, uh, 
and uh, always a lot to talk about, but uh, but appreciate the work and the, the light that you're shining on some of the issues that maybe have gone uh, under the radar in the past. So uh, to all the listeners, please uh, enjoy the rest of the tournament. Tell your friends and family to tune in, watch games that aren't the U.S. games. Uh, you know, those things have real dollars and cents implications when we talk about equality and we talk about pay. Uh, but, you know, mostly just keep enjoying the game. We, we do this for a reason. We all love it. So, Absolutely. Uh, best to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for coming on. That was... Okay. That is Anthony DeChico and spending some time with us, uh, and and we we went well beyond our our normal uh, time allotment that we normally do on this show, but felt like uh, it was it was definitely worth it. We had a lot to talk about and a lot to cover, and um, so we did. We just went a little extra time today on this Friday, June the twenty first. Thanks uh, thanks for tuning in this Friday. Our sponsor this half hour. Uh, in in and in this extra time is Charity Water, and uh, you can learn more about Charity Water by going to charitywater.org. They provide clean drinking water to people all over the world, and you can be a part of that by going to charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. And you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back into the show. It is Friday, June the 21st. I'd like to thank Anthony DeChico for coming on today. And um, I'd like to thank all of our guests uh, for, for coming on this week and spending time with us. AJ Adcock on Monday. Tuesday, we had Ken Benzinger, author of Red Card, uh, on Tuesday. Wednesday, Jack Gidney. Uh, yesterday, Dawn Crow. And today, Anthony DeChico. Thanks to all of our guests uh, for coming on to the show talking soccer and uh and spending some time with us uh, as always you can watch weekdays live at 9 a.m eastern standard time on danielwortman.com and you can uh, listen to the podcast uh each and every day uh as well so thanks for tuning in we'll see everybody again on monday